0: The following program, The Inclusive Voice, is sponsored by Diversity MBA Media, and to the extent applicable, their guests. The views and opinions expressed therein do not necessarily reflect those of NewsWeb Radio Company or its management.
1: Good morning to this, ooh, little chilly Saturday morning. I'm Pam McElveen, your host on The Inclusive Voice. Uh, you know, um, it's really been a while since we talked about, um, you know, what's really going on today, and truly, kind of what's happening with this notion around equity. I, I will have to say this to you: in while, I am definitely, definitely a fan of bipartisan legislation, where we actually are positioning for for laws that is going to protect the human rights of all. To see us today in in America reverse the rights of what we as a people have fought so long. I mean, we've already had issues with marginalization of the African American and Hispanic and Asian and other people of color populations, if you will. And then, you know, we lost the Roe versus Wade, you know, the rights of women. And then we, you know, Biden's administration have really been trying to to protect the rights of marriage for the LGBTQ community and partnership living, and 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 the things that matter to people. I mean, we're still—if if you can believe—in the 21st century, we're still dealing with things that are marginalizing people. And I just wanted to say that and express that, and I want you to hear—you know—some of the frustration here. On the inclusive voice you know that I have and and those of us and those of you that are listening with us, you know being able to you know express your frustration around that, although today's show I mean I said that because I wanted to acknowledge what was happening around us in the world, but today you know our guest is going to come with us, and yes, we're going to be talking about health equity. And leadership among um, people of color, specifically African Americans, our expert guest this morning is going to really bring us an incredible lens in terms of the work um, that she has done and fostered and championed, particularly since the nation is still healing after you know um, the pandemic, after the you know the the murders if you will, of George Floyd. And, and many others, unfortunately. But it's important to understand, and I think this is where we don't celebrate enough, the people that are in the trenches, that are doing the work, so that they can bring forward the conversations you know, around what's happening with health equities and health inequities. And sometimes we do see, but the influence our politicians have on choice, on policy, on practices, but it's important to know why we have to have people of color, why we have to have black and brown people in positions of influence and in leadership roles to drive change. So we are going to specifically talk about you know what's been happening in our healthcare industry because our expert with us this morning she is going to not only give us the perspective of being an incredible entrepreneur but but also sitting on major Healthcare boards, knowing what's happening in the background, and then is driving change with the work that she's now doing uh, with her new organization. So I I know I'm not saying who because I want to, you know, introduce her right after this commercial break, but you know, as I've always said, go grab your coffee, sit back, you know, feel free to to call in and ask any questions at 773-763 nine two seven eight and um i am here with you the inclusive voice and with our guests to have this great conversation so we'll be right back with you in the next um few seconds
2: Mind over matters. Dr. Amy Harris Nuon. As you know, this show is about challenging you to think differently, to make different choices in your life, to take action, to create positive outcomes in your life. So I want to challenge you to look at your life holistically. To where am I satisfied? What areas uh, need attention? And then go to work, take an action, what you need to do.
0: Mind over matters with Dr. Amy Harris Nuon Sundays at 10 a.m. on WCPT 820. <laughs> you <laughs>
2: The world is embracing a remote, globalized, and diverse workforce. Is your organization prepared when it comes to understanding all the nuances of diversity? Diversity MBA can help. From an industry leading journal and web publication highlighting professionals and best practices, to boot camps and conferences featuring noted and accomplished speakers, Diversity MBA is a driving force in diversity, equity, and inclusion education. Check out diversitymba magazine.com and take the first step towards transforming your organization.
1: Welcome back to the Inclusive Voice. I'm your host, Pam McElvain. Now I would like to introduce to you our guest this morning. I am so excited to have Antoinette Hardy-Waller with us. She is an incredible, incredible leader in the community of entrepreneurship. She's championed diversity, equity, and inclusion in her career. She's a demonstrated impact person with high levels of integrity and influence in our community. You're going to hear a lot more about her, but first thing I'd like to do is say good morning and welcome Tony. Thanks Pam. I am so excited
0: to be here with you and to have this discussion around health equity and disparities and our continued challenge around that but also some of the successes we're beginning to see.
1: That that's that's going to be such good news. But before we dive in, I always have to ask every week: How are you doing? How are you? T- how are you self taking self care? Um, and you know, what are you doing? You know, that might be differently after this uh, post pandemic. For the question, Pam, and interestingly as
0: you can imagine, as a type A uh, executive we often don't stop to think about that, and so I really appreciate the question Um, and I think that all of us need to get more intentional about taking care of ourselves and what that means. I will tell you that one of the things that I have become very conscious about and that is really balancing my schedule so that I don't have 12 and 14-hour days, and I don't have 80-hour weeks, but really balancing that with family and friends and really taking the time to breathe, and not just breathe, but to celebrate the successes of the day and of the week. Uh, But I will admit that it does take a little bit of uh, self-discipline to do that, but understand that it's so important, because if we continue to do the hard work that's in front of us we have to take the time to care for ourselves
1: you know thank you for that and you you're so right i mean it, in, and i've um, in in my coaching some of the executive coaching that i've done Tony i sit there and and tell people hey you have got to you know plan your self care just like you do your career you have to make it a priority you know your body, your mental health, and just all this great stuff. So I'm glad to hear your intention. I, I'm going to say, okay, she's 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 gone down to ten. She said she's not doing the twelve, the fourteen to sixteen anymore. So I'm putting that on my list, Tony. <laughs> I, got, I got four more hours to cut out. am <laughs> But you know, Tony, um, I'm gonna just sidebar just a second. But you know, I I am so frustrated with the continued lack of care for people of color, particularly on the South and parties. You know, and and what, what's happening politically with not trying to move forward in both the mental and physical healthy way. And knowing that we already are fighting against disparities just because of systemic and structural racism that exists, but to now to have it even, you know, penetrated and celebrated among, you know, political uh, parties and influence. I I just have no words to know um, how we're going backwards. In fact, on the news the other day, they headlined Reverse America. In Mm. about that,
0: Sure, uh, And I apologize, Kim, because I'm not hearing you really clearly. So if I hesitate, it's it's because I, I can't hear you really well, clearly. Um, but one of the things that I want to say as you talk about your frustration, um, particularly in the work that I'm doing around really looking to advance more African-Americans in these senior leadership roles in the industry, it's so important because we are the ones that are able Able to provide a lens, a unique lens into our unique lifestyles, our unique communities and the needs of those communities. So it's so important there. But I want to go back and say to the frustration that, you know, when when COVID hit, it was devastating to all communities. But as we know, it was particularly devastating to communities of color and particularly blacks who who died three and four times more uh, Uh, increased than our white majority counterparts. Um, And we vowed, the country vowed that after that period of time, and then in particular, after the murder of George Floyd, that it was going to do better, that it was going to commit to uh, decreasing those disparities and inequities. And we were going to put dollars behind that. Um, And here we are just a year or two later after that, and when you look at the commitments that were made, uh, they have all waned. Um, And it's so interesting to me because when we talked about that during the time, you know, there was such great, so many voices saying, this is a different time. This is a different movement. And because it's a different movement, it's going to, in essence, stick. Um, And I had... um, my reservations at the time and those reservations came to tr- came true because as we look back, those commitments that were made during that time have, have so waned and so like you, Pam, I remain completely frustrated around the fact that we make a step forward and then we make three steps backwards particularly as it relates to uh, equity um, and the disparities that are continually and persistently be experienced by communities of color.
1: Just well said. Well said, Tony. Just well said, and uh, thank you for that because, you know, so we have to, so part of the, the work that we have to do uh, and part of my responsibility for having, you know, these large audiences through all the mediums we have is to talk about. The fight and to talk about the work that people like you are doing, that leaders like you are having an influence while we, cause we have to still lean ahead, lean forward, even though we're getting pushed backwards. So with that, <laughs> you know, we're going to talk about, you know, be able to talk a little bit about some of the great milestones as well as, you know, what the work we still have to do. But before we do that, Tony, I I just want to talk a little bit about your background, which is so impressive. And, you know, what um, you know, w- first let's just talk about, you know, where where did you where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? And, you know, what uh d- inspired you to go into healthcare because you have an incredible healthcare resume.
0: Great. Thank you, Pam. Well, I am a true Chicago native. I was born and raised here in Chicago, uh, initially on the west side, the real west side, which is K-Town, in my opinion, Uh, but grew up there, and eventually uh, parents moved us to uh, Maywood, where I went to high school at Proviso East, and everybody that's uh, in the city understands that when you're in Maywood, you go to Proviso East, so we uh, attended Proviso East High School Uh, My mom uh, was a nurse. She was an LPN and uh, started out as a school nurse and uh, eventually uh, had her career at uh, Cook County Hospital. And so uh, my first introduction, obviously, to health care was through my mom, who was a nurse, um, and and loved the work that she did and her commitment uh, to the work, which really influenced me to go into nursing interestingly uh, I looked at nursing from an, an LPN perspective and she was like oh absolutely not you're gonna do better than me uh you're going to go and be a registered nurse and so that's how I began my nursing career and uh got my BSN over at the University of Illinois and uh, started my career as a critical care nurse at uh, Michael Reese Hospital for those of you who remember and at that time uh Michael Reese Hospital was one of the top 100 hospitals in the country uh with with great great um care that they provided, but it also was a hospital that sat in the community and provided care for many of the vulnerable communities, and it's interesting as I look back because uh, Michael Reese was, um, had really two parts of it. it. There was a part of the hospital where the more affluent uh, folks in the community went for care, and then there was another part of the hospital where those who were less affluent uh, received care. I believe we all received great care, uh, but that was very uh, apparent in the in the hospital at the time, and we, we didn't look at it as that back then. But it was very clear that there were different levels uh, of care that was provided. Um, I later went into home care. I left critical care nursing started my own company, and I had the opportunity to open that company in any community possible uh, in the city, but chose uh, intentionally um, to begin our services in uh, communities of color on the south side of Chicago, most vulnerable of communities, because, you know, there is where my family lived, my aunts, my uncles, it could have been my mother. And I was intent on ensuring that those communities received the very best access to quality care that there was. And at the time, disparities were running rampant. the communities were not receiving those levels of home care. In fact, had no idea home care existed, nor did they know that that type of health care was a right and not a privilege. And so I spent the first year um, in those communities when I launched my business just educating them about health care and their right to to access quality health care. And so for a year didn't really make a lot of money or get a lot of Patients, but it was important for me to ensure that our communities knew what was available and what was a right for them and on the On the back end, that served us well because we created a lot of trust in the communities in providing access to that level of quality care and so it made us very successful, but it also allowed me to be able to provide that level of care. So as you can see, my career started with ensuring that we could break down and impact a lot of the disparities in communities of color, and still today I'm doing the same
1: thing. Yeah, that's incredible. What an incredible story, uh, Tony. I will I will say that. Um, It's it's amazing the work you started you started doing and how we still need to do that same amount of awareness and education within our communities and particularly the ones that um, are economically uh, marginalized about you know their right to care. But what I found interesting, I'll just share this with you though uh, before we go to commercial break, is we have in common. My mother too, she was a nurse practitioner. I grew up. California, so I did understand that uh, understand the uh, the nursing um, clinical part in the family, and then my grandmother's very best friend in our rural town of Stockton, California, owned uh, a chain which was like three home care services. So <laughs> it was just kind of interesting to see. Wow. That we had that connection. So your commitment is, is incredible. So um, we're going to take a commercial break and hear a little bit more um, now about the work um, based. You hear, you know, from from Tony um, Waller, CEO and founder of the Leverage Network, where her basic training shows she is fundamentally entrenched and aware of what's going on and how she's leveraging and moving forward. So we'll be right back with you after this commercial break.
2: This is Barry Moltz with a Small Business Radio Show. And like you, I've had a lot of businesses over the last 25 years. First, I went out of business. Then I got kicked out by my two partners. Then I sold my last business, and I was able to pay back the bank
0: the $1.3 million I owed them. And funny enough, my wife tells me I got her back just about the same time. Join me Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. right here on WCPT 820, where I show you how to get your small business unstuck, grow the company you've always wanted, and
2: finally make the money that you deserve. That get no response to improper billing and shipping, to inventory mistakes, waste can be an expansive, encompassing problem. With a track record of success that includes over $7 billion in successful projects, bold business has been helping clients over two decades. Whether you seek to enhance the performance of current anti-waste and waste initiatives, reduce reputational damage in the face of heightened public scrutiny, or simply safeguard cost efficiency, Bold Business has the answers. Check out boldbusiness.com for more information.
1: Welcome back. I'm Pam McElvain, your host with the Inclusive Voice Boy, didn't we have a good introduction to, to Miss uh, Tony Waller, um, the CEO and founder of the Leverage Network. So, Tony, before we dive in into some of the work you're doing at the Leverage Network, I just want to talk a little bit about, you know, in, in the home care service and in the clinical field based on, you know, your experience then, what really inspired you to, um, yet sell your businesses and go and create another organization that's going to drive change?
0: Um, That's a great question, Pam. I um, was in the home care business uh, for the majority of my career. Now that I look back, I had... Uh, launched, built and launched my first company well, way back in the day um, as we discussed earlier on the call and uh, then I had the opportunity to do uh, consulting nationally with hospitals and health systems so I got an opportunity to have a peek into different healthcare organizations across the country uh, which also gave me different perspectives on the care that was provided to communities of color. And the challenges that those hospitals had with providing care across a continuum in a way that it met the needs of those communities. And interestingly, what I always found was the CEOs that I interacted with and the boards that I interacted with, um, there weren't many people of color on those boards, but yet I would come in to sort of help them understand um, how to improve and to enhance care, how how to reduce costs um, across a continuum of care and it dawned on me that if there were more people like me in those rooms, we could really better influence the care that was provided to those communities. Additionally, Pam, uh, when I had my home care businesses, I was on both our national and local uh, home care boards. I was very involved legislatively um, and did quite a bit of uh, uh, politics on on the on the hill around um, policies related to home care, and from that lens also got an opportunity to understand how care was prioritized for communities of color or not prioritized for communities of color. And all of those experiences really fueled what I do today with the Leverage Network. Um, had a very successful career, had a very successful uh, business in home care, and I think we had some incredible outcomes where we really began to impact disparities in communities of color because of our commitment to those communities. And so as I began to transition my career, some sort of direct care uh, to sort of my next, last chapter uh, of my career. The question for me became, how do I continue to not just impact, but increase the level of impact? And and what I realized was there's opportunities for us as black executives um, to impact that. And so how could I be a part of that? And that's uh, when I launched the Leverage Network.
1: Yeah, I I really like what you said. Said, increase the level of impact but before we actually go into that you know one of the things that you said that kind of stuck to me is like you know the priority of care so let me just ask you just straight up <laughs> so when you talk about that are, are you and I know some hospitals are very much committed to their communities but let's just talk about in the reality when they're talking about patient versus uh, profits versus patient care um, is there a re- real priority around, you know, who can pay and who can't? Um, does, does quality of care have those kinds of, you know, um, influences on what some systems provide or have we gotten past that? Well, you
0: know, Pam. I think interestingly today, um, as we talk about health equity, health equity has become, um, and 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 I say this lightly, uh, and I really do say it lightly. It's become the flavor of the month. Um, you know, we've been talking about health disparities for decades. Uh, we've been talking about diversity for decades, um, and now it's health equity. Um, the good news, in my opinion, is I believe that um, the health care industry is really embracing the need for health equity. Um, we're being a lot more intentional about identifying individuals within our organizations to lead uh, that challenge within our organization. Um, so I do think hospitals are getting a lot more intentional about improving care to the most vulnerable communities through their health equity initiatives, and not just to the community externally but also internal um, to the executives and their workforce so I think that there's a lot more work happening around that I think where we fall short Pam is the fact that to really do the best job you have to appreciate and understand what those needs and those challenges are and if you are not of color there's no way that you can really appreciate what that is or what that looks like. Thus, my my challenge and my commitment and passion around ensuring that there's equal representation of those minorities in the boardroom and on the executive leadership team where those decisions are made and where those decisions are influenced. I think that at the end of the day, the intent is good, but you cannot make the impact if you don't understand or appreciate the issues, um, and that's where we are today.
1: Yeah, you know, Tony, I'm I'm gonna just I'm, I'm just gonna challenge this a bit more. I do believe, and I'm not going to say I don't disagree, I'm going to say yes and, but I do believe because I was mentored by one of the largest uh, integrated providers in the nation, uh, that was George Halverson before he retired, of Kaiser Permanente. And he shared with us, by the age of two, organizations know where the disparities are Within those children and within those communities, the healthcare system, it, along with you know other regulatory banking and insurance, are one of the most robust systems in capturing data. So I'm going to say mm-hmm. that they know, they absolutely know. So I'm with you too on the flavor of the month. Or the flavor of the year, and now that they're focusing on health equity, but they know. But what you did, what you said, that differentiates it is that the appreciation and the urgency to take care of what's happening in the communities are going to come from the decision makers of people of color. Those black and brown people that are that where their people is actually. Uh, Impacted at larger, disproportionate levels are going to be the ones that fight the harder. But I gav- guarantee you that the reporting—and you know, because you sit on one of the largest healthcare integrated boards—that the information is there. It's just like you said, there's not enough of us there to, to make that movement. So yeah, I- yeah, and I would agree, Pam. You
0: know, I think I think. The reality is they are getting at the information Um, you know I know that data and analytics is your sweet spot so uh, you are excellent at that and if we could bring (laughs) if we could bring your expertise uh, into our our hospitals and healthcare organizations it would be phenomenal if you will recall back in um, 2014, the American Hospital Association had, well, 2011, they had the call to action um, with uh, hospitals across the country to really look at and make a commitment to eliminating health disparities and improving quality of care. And at that time in 2011, they said that there are three steps we want you to do. One is, and you'll recall this, Pam, collecting real data, data around race, ethnicity, and language. Uh, The other was cultural competency training. And the other was um, increasing diversity on boards and leadership. That was back in 2011. Um, Then fast forward uh, to 2014 when they began to do these surveys around, you know, how much had been accomplished in those three steps. You know, there was a very small minority of hospitals who were really getting at real data at that time. They didn't know how to collect the data. They weren't uh, collecting it at the front end of healthcare, and so they were struggling um, to get at that. And I will admit, today, um, we are still challenged. I think we've gotten much better, but we're still challenged at understanding within our organizations what that Real data looks like and then for those organizations that are uh, beginning to collect that in a meaningful way then the question becomes okay so now what do we do with this data and what kind of initiatives do we build around it to really uh, impact equity and disparity so that is where I think the industry is today uh, with that um, But then it goes back to what I said as well, so once we are clear about the data and we understand that, if the people in the room making decisions uh, or providing oversight around what we do with that data, if they don't look like the people who the data impacts, it becomes a moot point.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. So we're going to take a commercial break and and thank you for that uh, because I didn't realize Wow, 2011. I do remember that. I'm like, wow, 2011. So how slow change happens. <laughs> Absolutely. When you want to do something that's impactful. So we're going to be right back after this commercial break and talk about the, the work of the Leverage Network, the organization uh, that Ms. Waller has actually created, uh, founded to drive change um, for leaders to be positioned to help and have influence. So we'll be right back with you. Stay tuned with
2: us. Where Are They Now? With Art and Bobby. The author of, again, 160 Minutes The Race to Save the RMS Titanic. Let's welcome William Hazel Grove. Welcome.
0: If Titanic had hit that iceberg straight on, it would not have sunk. If they'd done nothing, because it would have caved in the bow, and a couple apartments would have been flooded, but it could have floated. Titanic had watertight doors, but because they turned, that iceberg ripped open the
2: side like a can opener. Tune in to Where Are They Now? Saturdays at 10 a.m. on WCPT 820 a.m. Hey, listen. Thank you. Finger on the pulse of the diversity, equity, and inclusion movement, check out MBA Magazine.com. As a dedicated news and media focal point for workplaces, professionals, and students, Magazine.com is chock full of profiles of accomplished professionals in the DEI space, as well as notes of recognition and other newsworthy items. Check out the 2021 50 out front, get the skinny on diversity recruiting, tap into the latest in DEI. Go to diversitymba magazine.com and subscribe for updates. Welcome back.
1: I'm your host, Pam McElveen, here on WCPT 830 AM. Hey, listen, uh, please feel free, you guys, call in at 773-763-9278 and ask any questions that you want. The one thing I love about Tony that she she shared with us where she grew up and how well she knows this landscape of Chicago. So those of you that just want to uh, give a high five or talk about, you know, maybe what some of the challenges you're still experiencing. In your communities, um, we definitely want to hear from you. So, Tony, I now want to get into some of the, you know, the work you're doing today, which is, which is incredible. And um, and you know, we can just be real honest about it because because, like you said, it's no longer uh, sexy for companies to. To now uh, celebrate and move forward diversity, equity, inclusion. You know, they had no choice because the spillover of what was happening in the community was impacting, to be honest, impacting productivity in the workplace. So, we mm-hmm. had to, it was a business imperative, that they had to deal with race relations. And and they're going to continue to have to as long as we have this you know this uh, partisan divide around racial lines um, around human equity that, that's something that organizations they may be leaving the space too soon, but the work that you're uniquely doing um, around your organization first you know tell us about how that you were inspired by the name of uh, the Leverage Network and give us a little bit of uh, background on and this great organization.
0: Sure, sure. So I I came up with the Leverage Network because I knew that in order, well, first and foremost, I think that the work around, any work around equity, disparities, racism, um, inequities, I think any work like that, it takes a village. Not one organization, one person, uh, one community uh, actually could lift this work up. It takes... A village. It takes the country, quite honestly, uh, collectively to do this work. And so um, I knew that if I were going to be successful in any parts of uh, the mission of the leverage network, that I had to leverage my network. And uh, through my 30-plus years in the healthcare industry, I've been very humbled and honored and privileged uh, to be able to co- be come in contact with some of the powerhouses in the industry and uh, through my networking. And all of them have been very, very supportive of the mission and the work of uh, TLN, as we call it. And I knew that I would have to leverage their influence their power, uh, their resources um, to help us stand up this work. Uh, And that has worked. And then we've seen that become a reality as we work with those executives because in order for them to get the level of promotion within their organizations or to really uh, gain those board opportunities that they're looking for, the very center core of that is really leveraging their networks to do that. And so that's where the name came from for the leverage network.
1: And and that is so true. That is so true. And I just want to just take a moment. I don't like, you know, sharing the Bibles, uh, the bios, reading them. I like you guys to talk through them. However, I am going (laughs) to share a little bit about yours so people understand who you are. I mean, um, audience, I want you to know. Tony, One of the boards that she serves on is Common Spirit Health, which is the largest nonprofit health system in the country, with revenues exceeding $33 billion, 142 hospitals across 21 states, and 700 care sites. So this is so important to understand also that these large hospitals, if they were private, they would be Fortune 500 companies. So,
0: Oh, absolutely. No doubt.
1: Yeah, they, they absolutely would. We don't want folks to be confused about that. And I think it was important, Tony, that you know people understand you know the expertise of of, of the guests and, and you, or who's leading this, because you you've seen it firsthand in in terms of what happens. So, um, what are some of the programs that TLN, everybody, the Leverage Network? I love that TLN. Um, <laughs> we have we have um, our our sort of core program that
0: we started that started with in 2014 that was launched is our healthcare board initiative and that program is really around helping black executives uh, ready and position themselves for board opportunities in healthcare organizations across the country, both public private um, and as we know there's a significant growth in private equity in the healthcare space particularly around technology and our work is really to develop a pipeline of talent that is ready uh, for those opportunities i think you know it's important because Back in 2014, Pam, I was also uh, very involved with the American Hospital Association's uh, Governing Council, uh, particularly when they were had launched out to really work to increase the number of minorities on healthcare boards, particularly in hospitals, and uh, this, they did some great work around going around the country and really um, training minorities to be on board. Our work is very different. Different than that but I think the point that I'm getting to is back then when we looked at the numbers um, in 2015, 14% of um, their boards, hospital boards mind you, was, I mean, was not global but just hospital boards, 14% on boards uh, were minorities and that was the same as 2013. There was no change um, and then when we looked at the executive suites uh, those same organizations, only 11% of those health care executives were minorities, and then that was a decrease from 2013 when 12% were executives, and so, you know, my frustration then was for decades prior, we had been talking about how do we change this dynamic and ensure that we have increased representation of minorities in these positions, American hospital Association even had a call to action as it related to that but we were not seeing a movement in the numbers Um, so there was a lot of rhetoric that was happening around uh, this charge but nobody was actually doing the work nobody was putting legs to it to make it really happen and that really was my inspiration for the leverage Network Understanding that we really, really had to put a commitment uh, to the challenge, and in order for me to do that, I would need to leverage everybody in my network to be able to do that. And so, uh, with that said, we started our first program, um, the Healthcare Board Initiative. We just graduated. Um, oh no, just started our sixth cohort of the Healthcare Board Initiative program. Um, of those cohorts, uh, I would say 35, more than 35% of those have been placed on a board. Uh, but I think Excellent. the uniqueness about that is, again, I say all the time, it's about more than getting more brown, more color in the room. It's really around the impact and influence we can have on equity and disparities within that particular organization. So while we have a six month curriculum for that program, what's baked into that Pam is really how do you influence health equity what is ESG how do we impact diversity equity and make those decisions and have a voice around those decisions that are being made in those rooms where we're so underrepresented Um, and so we've begun to see some great success in that area
1: Yeah, that's really critical. I I mean, I I know, you know, having served on uh, many boards, this work. And, you know, when you talked about, uh, Tony, you were talking about some of the numbers and and statistics. And I'm going to tell you, give you a clue. One of the key words, the key things that has to change in order for us to have the level of representation, and when you said it takes a village, you weren't kidding, it's called critical mass. We don't yes. have the critical mass in any leadership inside an organizations for C-suite Yes as well as elevation to boards. Because if the dominant group, the dominant workforce in terms of white Americans and then white women are the next largest group that are being advanced because those are the two groups with critical mass. So what that yes. means, audience, when someone leaves, whether they leave on their own or they're fired, or they choose, regardless if they leave, there's enough people in those positions that they can replace. So they don't look to people of color. So we have to be intentional. We have to Yes. I, I mean, very hard, and, and I'm just going to throw um, just a couple, just share this with you because we got the latest numbers. Did you know the mm. diversity officers, so when the, 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 the dominant workforce want to say, well, the person, the, the organization, the leader in the work, the leader in the company that's driving diversity and equity, were well, 76% of them are whites. Wow, are white Americans. Three point eight percent are black. So let's just get rid of the myth. Seven percent are Hispanic, and seven point two percent are Asian. So let's just get rid of the myth that the chief of equity, and inclusion offers about black and brown people. I don't think so. Seventy six percent are the yeah. group are white Americans. So and that's what it all looks like. And you know, and so all we're trying to do is have the three things with our experience. Gain education so we too can have the exposure. That's all it's about. It's about creating the equity to make a change. So um, we're going to take another quick commercial break and we're going to come back. And and Tony, thank you for for this great conversation. But I want to, when we come back, talk about, you know, how organizations can, people can find you and what are some of the uh, programming you have coming up uh, this year. So we'll be right back after this commercial break.
0: If you're interested in buying a home in the near future and you're looking for a real estate professional that's going to have your back, we bring them on the air right here at the Home Buyers Hour. Every Saturday morning at 6 o'clock, we're going to have some of the best real estate agents, attorneys, mortgage brokers, and myself, a home inspector, right here on WCPT AMA 20, where the facts matter.
2: talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Let Diversity MBA Media bring you up to speed on the discussion. With benchmarking services that help enterprises gauge and expand the diversity of their workforces to fresh, insightful, deep-dive articles on the Diversity MBA website, CEO Pam Mickelvain leverages years of experience and some of the foremost thought leaders on diversity, equity, and inclusion to Spread the DEI message and curate content that educates and enlightens. In addition, Diversity MBA Media hosts annual conferences that bring together speakers from all across the DEI spectrum, with thousands of virtual attendees learning industry best practices from a wide range of perspectives. Check out Diversity MBA Media, join the diversity, equity, and inclusion movement, and be a part of the discussion. www.diversitymbamagazine.com Thanks for staying
1: tuned with us and being a part of this conversation uh, with Ms. Tony Waller, the founder and CEO of the Leverage Network, known as the TLN. So, Tony, I don't want us to, to lose sight. If per- people want to get involved and, and support the organization, where can they go?
0: The best way, um, Pam, I would say to do that is visit our website at theleveragenetworkinc.com, and uh, it's a pretty robust robust, uh, website that shares the programs, It shares how to get in touch with us, Um, but we're always looking for uh, individuals and organizations who are serious about equity to get involved in our charge. And so we would welcome um, any organization that is interested to reach out and and we will reach back out to talk about how uh, we might collaborate together and partner together to change how healthcare is governed and led.
1: And so can individuals uh, also uh, reach out and participate in the program, programming that you offer?
0: Yes, so for, for the programmings individually, for those who are interested in participating in either our healthcare board initiative or a healthcare executive leadership program, there's an application process. And so we would encourage you to go to the website, identify that application, and then someone would reach back out to you to get you engaged in that way.
1: Oh, great. TheLeverageNetworkInc.com. Excellent. Correct. So, so, Tony, you know, so just wanted to uh, just ask you a little bit more about, you know, some the leadership part of the work that you do. Um, what, do you, what do you have going on in 2023? Um, I know you have this robust board training, which is great because I'm going to take and yes. really push this forward because people just don't know what to do no. with all their nonprofit board service and they don't know how to prepare for the next level. And the network is absolutely right. That is absolutely one of the key things. But in terms of, um, you know, just share with us a little bit some of your your signature programming that you have going on on the in the leadership side uh, of your organization of the work you do
0: Sure. So our Healthcare Executive Leadership Program um, is two years old. We just graduated our second cohort from um, the Healthcare Executive Leadership Program. Um, it's also a six-month curriculum for those individuals. But Pam, I'll tell you why I thought it was so important that we launched that program. Um, we did some research um, about 2018. Um, it was broad research. But at that time, we had identified the 41 41 to 45 top healthcare organizations in the country, so across four sectors. So we talked not just about providers, but payers, pharmaceutical and biotech organizations. And as we looked into, one, the boardrooms of those organizations, as we all suspected, 87% of those were white, only 13% were people of color. when we looked at the individuals who were leading those organizations, and we're talking again to top 41 healthcare organizations, so 10 billion and up, um, there were only four black CEOs of those organizations. Four black CEOs. So eight and a half percent were represented by black CEOs. Four percent were women. As you can imagine, but not one of those women was a black CEO. And then as we did a little bit more further look into the work and why we were so underrepresented, Pam, we realized that there was a significant gap between sort of that system enterprise level role of CEO and then those more local regional CEO roles where we might have been represented more. So SVP, VP level, uh, some president level at a local level. But we also found that we as black executives, we were sitting in those roles three and four times longer than our white counterparts. And so we wanted to dig into the why behind that a lot more and launch the healthcare executive leadership program to do a couple of things. One is not just to ready and position these executives for promotion uh, within their organizations, within the industry, but also we wanted to create a really rich pipeline because when you think about and you ask these organizations the question around, so why it, are we so underrepresented in these roles? You know, it was always, well, we can't find the diverse talent, as you know. right, um, right, right. We know the real reason is because these organizations are not really committed or intentional about changing diversity at that level. Um, many had not established metrics to really monitor um, the level of diversity within their organization. If it's not measured, it's not done, as we know. Um, And the question became, within the organization, was there a culture that would support diversity? We found that in many organizations, the culture did not do that. And so as a result of that, we saw a lot of movement of black executives from one organization to the other because they just were not being promoted within those organizations. Um, And so our... H-C-E-L, our Executive Leadership Program, really speaks very transparently and authentically about those challenges and those issues and what those executives can do to better position themselves for promotion um, in those organizations or external to them. Also, about how do they make themselves seen in plain sight because they're in plain sight oftentimes and, and, again, these organizations say, I can't find diversity talent when they're right there? Um, How do you navigate that within your organization? Um, And how do you know your value and negotiate to that value? So those are the kinds of topics we talk about in our executive leadership program, and and I am really ecstatic to say that just in these two years, we've seen more than 45% of those individuals that have participated in that program get significant promotions, whether internal or external to their organizations
1: so that is huge and congratulations to you on the work that you're doing thank you for this level of commitment and all those that support this so Tony as we wrap up in our last minute or so what advice do you have for these healthcare systems these organizations that talk about their commitment and what action can they do um, to move forward in, in this work
0: yeah. So so what I would say initially to any organization in the healthcare space is first of all, equity stops at, starts at the top of any organization. Inequity starts at the top of any organization. If the leader, the CEO and the board is not committed To that charge within their organization, I don't care what you do, it's not going to happen. So you have to get intentional and at the very top of the organization, they have to be committed to equity uh, within their organizations, equity and diversity and inclusion, uh, number one. Number two is when you feel like, when organizations feel like they don't have diverse Talent within their organizations if they stop, pause, and look, they really do have yeah. that diverse talent. I think yeah. that we have not we as blacks have not been given the opportunity um, to to uh, be promoted within those organizations. But then on the other side of that, we as black executives need to understand how to position ourselves to be seen within those organizations as well. And then I would also lastly say, uh, as you're looking for vetted, talented, diverse individuals or executives for your organizations. visit organizations like the Leverage Network, who has very strong, rich, robust pipelines of individuals who have not just been vetted, but have gone through a really robust program to prepare them for those
1: opportunities. Um, and so, you, again, you, so you know, you just need intentional. Thank you so much, Tony. I know you're so full of information. I appreciate you this morning. We we appreciate you. The Leverage Network Inc.com. Go there for more information. Become a part. Be active. And I'm your host, Pam McElvain. And here with my guest this morning, the founder of The Leverage Network, Tony Antoinette Hardley Water, known as a Tony. So we'll see you next week at the same time. Stay with us and enjoy the rest of your weekend.